You're listening to the Lucas Italy podcast with food, culture and history from the land of Bucatini and Bucaneve. I'm Luca Marchiori and today I'll be talking about a food so famous it's become a culinary cliché. Pasta has become literally a symbol of Italy. If we think of images such as Lady and the Tramp sharing a plate of spaghetti together, to Alberto Sordi eating a huge plateful of spaghetti in the 1954 film Un Americano a Roma, pasta really is a shortcut for Italy. Italians are often called mangi macaroni, macaroni eaters, which is a phrase which was developed in the 18th century, mostly to describe the people of Naples. In fact, in 1860, during the Italian War of Unification, Giuseppe Garibaldi, the most famous um, figure in Italian unification, wrote to Cavour, uh, one of the others, when he entered the city of Naples, and he said, i macaroni sono cotti, E noi li mangeremo, which means the um, the pasta's been cooked and now we're going to eat it. So he chose this metaphor as a metaphor for having taken the city of Naples. So we can see that even then, pasta was used as a very powerful metaphor uh, by Italians. Now, we're not going to go into the history of pasta in this episode. In fact, that will be for a later episode. But suffice it to say, pasta was not introduced to Italy from China by Marco Polo. In fact, if you look at all the historical evidence and dates, etc., it would be more likely that Marco Polo actually introduced pasta to China from Italy. But as I say, that's for another podcast. So how valid is this cliche of Italians as pasta eaters? I mean, do Italians really eat pasta every day? Well, personally, with very few exceptions, I do eat pasta every day, and so do all my friends and all the people that I know. But obviously, in a country of more than 60 million people, such evidence is hardly representative. However, last time I looked, official statistics from pasta sales suggested that Italians bought and consumed 26 kilos of pasta per person per year. Now, I also read an article in which it said that pasta consumption in Italy actually has increased since the beginning of the coronavirus epidemic. And in fact, in the last year, sales increased by 5%. Now, adding in 5% on top of 26 brings us to 27.3 kilos. Also bearing in mind that for an Italian, 80 grams is considered a healthy serving of pasta then that would give us the figure that each Italian would eat 341 80-gram servings of pasta per year. Now, 341, that's not quite 365, but we're getting there. But if you then factor in invisible pasta, um, pasta which can't get counted in pasta sales because it's made at home, and that would show up in sales as flour, then I think we're probably very close to 365 portions per year, meaning that statistically, Italians probably do eat pasta every day. Now, a British friend once, when I told them that I do eat pasta every day, said, oh my God, how boring. Uh, you're eating the same thing every day. Don't you, don't you often wish for something else? But of course, with current estimates of there being 350 different types of pasta available, obviously you can change the type of pasta almost every day. And uh, so of course, no, it doesn't become boring because every different type of pasta has its own taste, has its own texture and goes with different sources. 
I certainly do not view every different type of pasta as being the same thing. And um, in fact, for me, they're incredibly different. You can literally taste the difference between different types of pasta. And of course, they all have a different mouthfeel. And sometimes when I'm deciding what to cook, um, I think, ah, I'd really like to eat some spaghetti today because I want that mouthfeel. Or, mm, don't fancy spaghetti today, but I really do fancy a big plate of rigatoni. Now, I often say this, but I never tell people exactly what I mean when I talk about different mouthfeel. So I thought I'd quickly describe what, for me, it feels like when eating certain different kinds of pasta. Let's take spaghetti, for example, because it's one of my favourites. Now, I like my spaghetti cooked properly al dente, so not too soft. And then, of course, when you eat it, you wrap it around the fork, and then you're putting that shape, which is rather like a, a ball of wool, into your mouth. So first of all, you feel the weight of this ball of pasta. And then as you bite into it, you can feel your teeth cutting through each individual strand. And then the ball sort of comes to pieces. And it's something which I, that's something which I really, really love. I really love that feeling of my teeth cutting through all those different strands and almost feeling that, that ball of pasta popping as I do so. And of course, because the spaghetti are all coated with the pasta sauce, it's at that moment that also the sensation of the taste of the sauce hits you. Now, another of my favourites, as I just said, is rigatoni. And rigatoni, um, you eat with various different sauces. But if you're eating it with a liquidy sauce, then obviously the sauce... Um, sorry, just to describe, rigatoni are like small pasta tubes, about an inch long and about half an inch in diameter. And, um, and they've got ridges on the outside. Um, riga in Italian means ridge or, or line. And anyway, so these rigatoni, they've got all this space inside. So the sauce, when you mix it through, actually gets inside. So if you're eating a, a soft, li more liquidy sauce, like a tomato sauce with rigatoni, when you, you put them in your mouth, the sauce squirts out when you bite into the, into it, because it's all got inside. And then, um, so as you bite it, the sauce squirts out of each end. And, uh, and that's a really pleasant uh, experience as well. Or, as we'll see later, my mother, when I was a kid, used to serve rigatoni with ragu. And so the meat sauce all goes inside the rigatoni. And so the rigatoni almost becomes like a wrapper for the meat sauce, which again is something which I, which I absolutely adore. You get the same effect with conchiglie pasta shells um, if you eat them with a chunky sauce as well, because the sauce all goes inside the shell and it becomes like a little wrapper for the sauce, which is something which I find incredibly pleasurable. It's almost like you're eating little stuffed dumplings. Now, my memories of pasta obviously go all the way back to childhood. Um, when I was very young, growing up in the UK in the 1970s, of course, pasta was not as widely available as it is today. And so we used to eat a lot of spaghetti because spaghetti was really the only pasta shape which was very widely available in 1970s Britain. And in fact, I've said this before, it was twice as long as the spaghetti that you buy today. And it came wrapped in a piece of blue paper. And my mother used to cook this with a tomato sauce, which was so rich. Um, I've never really tasted a tomato sauce like it. And I'm really not sure what she did. And she can't remember, um, which is sad. And but this is one of my one of my perfect food memories of childhood is spaghetti in this beautiful, creamy, rich tomato sauce. 
I suspect actually that she mixed Parmesan cheese in with it because uh, the colour I remember of this tomato sauce was not red, but it was sort of an orangey colour, which to me suggests that there was some kind of Parmesan cheese inside. Anyway, absolutely fantastic. And one of my absolute favourite things when I was a small kid. The other thing, as I said, that she used to cook a little bit later when other types of pasta became available, she would cook rigatoni and she would serve it with ragu. Now, this ragu, I think, was the recipe that she was taught by my grandmother when she married my father. And it was a white ragu, so there was no tomato in it. And this is one of my, again, one of my favorite early childhood eating memories is eating this rigatoni with this wonderful, dry, crumbly, but juicy meat ragu. And then you put a bit of freshly grated real Parmesan cheese on top, which just melted and and combined to form the most fantastically comforting umami. Now, also, as an Italian immigrant to the UK, pasta followed me around. In the 1970s and 80s, people used to have terrible, terrible problems either pronouncing or writing my name. Um, And even I remember official letters from things like banks used to come with my name completely misspelled. And people were vaguely aware of the fact that in Italian, most girls' names end with an A and most boys' names end with an O. Um, There are a few exceptions of which Luca, my first name, is one. So people used to think that I was a girl and I'd get letters addressed to Miss Luca Marchiori, as I say, even from official sources like banks. Now, it could have been worse because there are three Italian boys' names which end in A, uh, Luca, Andrea, which is Andrew, and Nicola, which is Nicholas. Now, Luca... Uh, which is Luke, of course, does not look very much like the English girl's name, Lucy, because it ends in an A and Lucy ends in a Y. However, Andrea is spelt in exactly the same way as the English girl's name, Andrea, and Nicola is spelt in exactly the same way as the English girl's name, Nicola. Anyway, it didn't stop with the first name because my surname, Marchiori, was probably harder for most people to get their heads around. And in fact, it did come with all sorts of amazing spellings. One I remember is that I once received a letter from a bank addressed to Miss Lucy Macaroni, which if you think about it, I don't know, it's, to me today, it seems almost incredibly racist, but at the time I thought it was quite funny. And in fact, my brother and I were dubbed by certain teachers at our school, the Macaroni Brothers, because obviously they thought it was funny that the name Marchiori looked a bit like macaroni, which of course is an alternative word for pasta. Anyway, back to the pasta. So as a child, I was eating a lot of this spaghetti with tomato sauce at home and also a little bit later rigatoni. Uh, with the ragu. But of course, every year we were going back in the summer to Italy, where of course I would experience the whole gamut of pasta. And I remember that my my step-grandmother, my real grandmother died before I knew her, and my grandfather in Italy married again. And um, so his wife, my step-grandmother, really is for me my uh, my Italian grandmother. And whenever we arrived, she would cook one of two special dishes which my brother and I adored. And the first one was tortellini in brodo, which is tortellini, which are little pasta dumplings filled with meat in a clear broth, like a, like a consomme. And this is something which, in fact, 
because it's very warming. Italians tend to eat at Christmas or in the winter, but we were getting it in July because it was, I think my grandmother probably thought of it as a celebratory dish because it was something you ate at Christmas. And my brother and I loved it. Um, in fact, well, I think I loved it more than my brother because my brother used to find the brodo a bit strange and he used to call it uh, dishwater. And I remember once we were having dinner with my family in Italy and um, or having lunch because Italians tend to eat pasta at lunchtime at home. And we had this and my brother said, oh, look, it's the tortellini with dishwater again. And that made me laugh. And my aunt, who had done the cooking, said, why are you laughing? And I said, oh, my brother just said something funny. And she said, what? And I said, oh, he said that this was tortellini in dishwater. And there was a sort of a silence and then she laughed. But uh, I don't think she thought it was funny because I think she probably was quite insulted by the fact that this. she used to make her own brodo. She used to make her own consomme, which was absolutely delicious. And I think she's probably a little bit insulted that my brother thought it was dishwater. Now, the other thing that my step used to make was also tortellini, but this time it was tortellini alla panna, uh, which means with cream. And this oh, was absolutely fantastic, although I'm having a heart attack just thinking about it now because uh, it's probably just completely full of cholesterol. But this was uh, tortellini, which had been cooked. And then um, she got a oven dish and she put cream and butter and Parmesan cheese in the dish. And then she put that in the oven until the butter melted. Then she'd take it out of the oven. She'd put the cooked tortellini inside stir that round and then put it back in the oven for a couple of minutes to finish cooking. And it was absolutely superb. And this was my brother's favourite. And uh, so there's another incident that I remember um, with from my brother connected with uh, tortellini alla panna. And that is that I used to eat relatively slowly. In fact, I still do. Um, I'm always the last person to finish. And I eat even more slowly if it's something that I'm really enjoying. And my brother would always wait until I had one more tortellino on my plate. And then he'd say, Luca, look at that. And I would look away and he would, of course, steal the tortellino from my plate. And it worked every time. I can't remember how many times he did this, but he used to do it every time we had tortellino a panna. So he always used to eat my last tortellino. You can probably guess from all of this that my brother is a couple of years older than me because this is typical big brother behavior. So as you would expect, pasta in Italy, notwithstanding that there are 350 varieties of dried pasta available in shops, and um, in fact, I think this is probably true. If you go to an Italian supermarket, the pasta aisle is it occupies at least one whole aisle in an Italian supermarket, even in big supermarkets, um, because obviously they have to have all the different varieties, but also all the different um, marks, all the different brands. But as I say, notwithstanding this, um, pasta is something which is still incredibly regional. And uh, I just wanted to share with you some of my favourite pasta dishes, which I've discovered travelling around Italy. Now, Italians at home will often make up uh, a pasta dish. Uh, they have an innate idea of what kind of sauces go with what kind of pasta but there are then pasta dishes of the, the regional tradition, which you find cooked at home, but also cooked in restaurants if you travel around Italy. Now, my first classic here is bucatini alla matriciana. Now, bucatini are a bit like spaghetti, but they're a bit thicker because right down the middle of the bucatino is a hole. 
And I have no idea how they do this. We were trying to work out the other day um, over lunch uh, what the machine must look like to actually get a little hole in the middle of this pasta. And we couldn't work it out. So if anybody knows, um, I'd love to find out exactly how they put the hole in the Bucatini. I have done Google searches to try and find out to no avail. So I think I'm going to have to write to one of the pasta companies and actually just ask them what the machine is like to actually get the hole in the Bucatini. But Bucatini are served normally with Amatriciana sauce, which is a sauce from Rome or Lazio. It's named after the town of Amatrice and they claim it as their own dish, although I'm not sure it was really developed there. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, I think it was developed probably in Rome um, because, but called Alla Matriciana because it uses guanciale, which is um, cured pig's cheek, which famously came from Amatrice. Now, this is really unusual because Bucatini are more or less only served with this Amatriciana sauce. Um, it's very rare to find Bucatini with any other kind of sauce. So this is, this is a, I say, a special case where um, one type of pasta is really always combined or combined 99% of the time with one sauce. Something rather funny connected with Bucatini is that recently there has been a Bucatini shortage in the United States and the Italian pasta companies making Bucatini in Italy have had problems importing it because apparently the FDA, the um, the administration that um, from the American government that allows food in, um, have these really strange definitions of what pasta is. And it has to contain a certain amount of iron to be pasta. And apparently they did a test on some of these Bucatini and the level of iron in the Bucatini was a little bit lower than normal. And so the FDA would not allow them to import it to the United States, causing this big pasta shortage. And um, in Italy, iron is not something that you look for in pasta. It's there as a byproduct of the way that it's produced, but it's not that they uh, they test. So obviously for the Italian companies, it was a bit, oh, <laughs> um, we didn't think of that. And, um, and it was a bit frustrating, I think, that the stuff wasn't let in. But I think it's been sorted out now. But there has been, like I say, in the last year, a Bucatini shortage in the United States. Now, another of my favorite dishes with spaghetti, which, as I said before, is one of my favorite kinds of pasta, comes from Campania. And this is spaghetti alle vongole, uh, spaghetti with clams, which again is uh, a classic dish, um, one which is very well known outside Italy as well. Um, so basically, the spaghetti is cooked with garlic, oil, and white wine, and then has the clams mixed in. And this comes in two different versions. It comes in a white version, which is as I just described, but also they sometimes add um, passata di pomodoro, tomatoes, and basil, and then it becomes the red version. But again, really delicious because the clams, they, uh, they cook them in their shells, so they just open, and then the spaghetti is mixed through, so you actually get the shells in the spaghetti. And it's really nice because you eat the spaghetti and it has all the beautiful flavors, um, but you actually pick up the clams and uh, spear the meat with a fork and eat them separately, which I think is, 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 is really good fun. Now, again, one of my favorite dishes from the south of Italy is orecchiette con cima di rapa, which is something that you find in Puglia. And this, I have very happy memories of going to the town of Lecce in Puglia 
and taking a cooking class with um, somebody called Matilde, who is a, a splendid person. She runs an Airbnb in Lecce, and they do cooking classes. And I'll put a link to her in the show notes if anybody wants to go down there and experience Matilde's uh, cooking classes. But she taught me to make orecchiette, and then um, I learned how to make orecchiette with uh, cima di rapa. Cima di rapa, in English, it's called, sometimes it's called broccoli rabe, but broccoli rabe is not exactly the same as the cima di rapa, which is used in Italy for this dish. Um, broccoli rabe uh, or rapini is, is, a, is a slightly different variety, um, but it's called brassica rapa in Latin. And uh, that's the name I think that it's known by outside Italy. In Italy, it's sometimes it's called cima di rapa, um, but it's also called in Rome, it's called broccoletti, uh, which means little broccoli because it does, it has these little um, fronds on the end, which look like mini broccolis. And so broccoletti, cima di rapa, this is, this is, uh, these are the names that you'll find it called in Italy, depending on where you are. Now, another favorite dish is pici all'aglione. Pici are hand-rolled pasta, which come from Tuscany and they're fresh pasta, but they're made just with flour and water. And then basically you, you roll them with your hands and they become like really long, thin bits of pasta, but they're quite thick, but also because they've been done rolled by hand, they're a little bit irregular and these are absolutely delicious. They're called peachy in most of Tuscany, but in some parts of Tuscany, they have a different name. For example, in Anghiari, which is a little town, um, they're called Bringoli. And in fact, they're considered to be the, the town dish and they have a festival for St. Martin's Day in November in which they will cook Bringoli. Also in Umbria, the same pasta is called Strozza Preti. Strozza Preti, which literally means strangle the priest, and or priest strangler. And it's called this, I think, because priests uh, in the past had a reputation for liking their food. And um, these were supposed to be, this kind of pasta was supposed to be so delicious that the priest would eat it so quickly that he'd choke. And um, which is uh, a bit of Italian humor there. But the word strozzapretti is used for a very wide variety of pasta. You find the name in many different regions with pasta, which is quite different. But in Umbria, Pici are called strozzapretti, sometimes strozzapretti umbri, umbrian um, strozzapretti, uh, to distinguish them from strozzapretti from other, other parts of the world. In fact, I was once in a town which was near, which was on the border between Tuscany and Umbria. And there were two little, the, the, the town was the same town. It just happened, the border happened to go through. And there were two supermarkets in this town. And the one in Tuscany, which again was about 100, 200 meters from the border with Umbria, um, but they served, they sold peachy in the supermarket. If you went over the border to the other supermarket, which again was about 100 meters south of the border, you could find the same pasta sold, labeled Strozzapretti Umbri. And this is a lovely example, I think, of how regionalism in Italy really doesn't cross the borders. Uh, people still respect the, uh, the the regions and the traditions of the different regions, even if you're practically in the same town. Now, one of my favorite ways of eating peachy, as I said, is peachy all'aglione, which means peachy with a big garlic sauce. And this is with a, a simple tomato sauce, which is flavored with lots and lots and lots of garlic. And if you're a garlic fan like I am, then it's absolute heaven. 
So the final pasta dish, which I want to talk about today, comes from Venice. Um, so I've given you quite a good idea of how pasta varies in the different regions of Italy, because we've been right from Puglia in the south to Venice in the north. And this dish is probably the only really, really traditional pasta dish in Venice, um, because in the Veneto area, they tend to eat more rice than pasta. And um, But this one definitely dates back to the 17th century. And this is called bigoli in salsa. Now, bigoli is obviously related to the word bringoli, the Tuscan word, and um, and it refers to a pasta which is long and thin, like spaghetti. Um, in fact, you could confuse it with spaghetti. And in fact, I think in many restaurants in Venice today, they serve spaghetti as bigoli. But it's made with whole wheat flour. Apparently in the past, when it first started, it was made with buckwheat flour, but today it's made with whole wheat flour. So they're a bit like whole wheat spaghetti. And these are served in salsa, in a sauce, but the sauce is always the same. And the sauce is basically made of anchovies and onions. And um, you have to cook, chop the onions into small pieces and then cook them very, 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 very slowly in a little bit of water in a pan. So you're almost like frying them in water in a pan. And you have to do this for at least an hour. And then after an hour, the onion pretty much is melted into the water. And then you add the anchovies, you stir the anchovy fillets, and they melt into this and make this beautiful brown sauce. And then you serve it with these bigoli. And it's absolutely stunning. And um, as I say, something very, very associated with the city of Venice. So as I said at the beginning, this is not the only podcast which I'm going to be doing about pasta. This is really an introduction to pasta and my favourite kind of pasta and what the part that pasta has played in my life. But I think if you'd expect any Italian podcast or any podcast about Italian food would have multiple episodes about pasta. So there'll be plenty more coming in the future, including one about the history and the developments and how Marco Polo did not bring it back from China. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to me ramble on about pasta. I just want to say thank you once again for all the fantastic reviews and the likes that you've been giving me. I'd also like to give a shout out to my two new patrons on patreon.com, Tom and Luca. Yes, I have a patron called Luca as well. And I want to thank you both very much for supporting me. And my patrons this month are enjoying an exclusive recipe, uh, which involves pasta, which is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite go-to recipes. So if you'd like to experience this too, um, then you can sign up as a patron on patreon.com. Again, the link is in the show notes. So I'll be back next week, of course, with another slice of Italian food, culture and history. So all that remains is for me to say, have a great week. Ciao.